Welcome to Thrive, a Paychex business podcast where you'll hear timely insights to help you navigate marketplace dynamics and propel your business forward. Here's your host, Gene Marks. Hey everybody, it's Gene Marks and uh, welcome to this episode where I have yet another conversation with James Harrigan and Anthony Davis. Just as a reminder, these are two economists. James is the senior editor at the American Institute for Economic Research and the F.A. Hayek Distinguished Fellow at the Foundation for Economic Education. And Anthony is an associate professor of economics at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh and the Milton Friedman Distinguished Fellow at the Foundation for Economic Education. Both of these guys host a podcast that I listen to every week. It's called Words and Numbers, where they look weekly at current events through the eyes of an economist and a political scientist. That's each of those. I think James is the political scientist and Anthony is the economist. Um, I talked before about some of my favorite episodes, but just a couple others. They broke down the true costs of lockdown during COVID, which was absolutely fascinating. And every year they do this annual episode where they talk about all the things we should be grateful for in a life and economic perspective. It's just an excellent podcast and something I think you would really enjoy. It's called Words and Numbers. You can find it wherever podcasts are offered, or they have a great Patreon account. It's patreon.com forward slash words and numbers. And they have a great book out called Cooperation and Coercion. Now, cooperationandcoercion.com is their site. Now, in this segment, we are talking about debt, the national debt, public debt, deficits that the government is created why we have this debt, how it's impacting the economy, what impact it has on inflation and interest rates, and some pretty savvy advice that these guys have as economists for us as business owners about how to navigate our businesses in this world of very, very high government debt, which they say is going to come to a reckoning maybe sooner than we would like. So listen up. You will hear about some of the problems that are coming down the road. So at least we can start preparing for them. And we had some suggestions as to what to do. So Anthony Davies, James Harrigan coming up in this conversation. We'll be back in just a minute. All right, James and Anthony, great to have you guys back with me. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. So this segment, we're, we're, we're going to talk about the debt, the deficit, you know, public debt, national debt, and what impact it has on, on, on businesses. As we're recording this, uh, lots of discussion right now because we're running up against the potential uh, you know, limits of what, what, what the government is allowed to borrow. And in fact, uh, Janet Yellen recently uh, wrote this, you know, th- this opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal saying, please raise the debt limit. It's been done 80 plus times before. Don't make it political. You know, we need the money. So James, I'm going to, I got to turn to you. Um, I'm running a business in Philly. What do I care about the debt limit? Well, you know, you, you might not, but you probably should. And and to deal with this at brass tax rate, um, she's saying that we have to increase the debt limit and you're going to see a bunch of politicians running around with their hair on fire, making all kinds of crazy accusations. Um, but listen to what she actually said. It's been done 80 times and it's never not been done. So, of course, they're going to raise the the debt ceiling. Of course they are. And, you know, politically, it's going to have to work that way because these people all need to to keep their jobs. And in order to keep their jobs, they have to keep the gravy train flowing. Um, But but here's the thing. Um, The United States of America has for quite some time now been living at roughly 25 percent beyond our means. And think about that for a second. Roughly one quarter from every dollar the federal government spends 
it, it owes it owes later. And, and who's going to pay for it? Well, we kind of will because we're all just about young enough. But our children and grandchildren are going to be hammered by this. And and Aunt, we've been talking about this for the better part of a decade now. And we keep pointing at it and it keeps not interfering with regular life. And people have this rejoinder every time we do it that, well, you know, why didn't it all fall apart 10 years ago? And that's, I think, a perfectly reasonable question. Do you have an answer for it? Well, yeah. And and I think it, it didn't fall apart for the same reason that a household can keep on partying hard as long as the credit card company keeps honoring its credit card. Right. And so too here, the federal government has been spending far beyond its means, but that's kind of been, I don't want to say it's okay. It's been possible because there've been enough people on the planet, businesses and other governments that have been willing to lend our government what it needs. That ceased to be the case recently. And who's taking up the slack is the Federal Reserve. And when the Federal Reserve loans money, we get inflation. So I think you're absolutely right, James, that you know our, our children and grandchildren are going to get hammered by this. Uh, I think that we're going to get hammered um, kind of starting pretty soon by, uh, by inflation. Inflation right. is simply going to be the price we pay for our pro- profligate spending. Right. So roughly two, three months ago. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Roughly two or three months ago that started. Mm-hmm. And, and there's another big, big hurdle coming up, and that's in roughly 10 years, the Social Security Trust Fund itself predicts that Social Security will be insolvent. Yeah, Medicare too. Uh, Medicare. So at that point, at that point, one or uh, two things, maybe three has to happen. Either retirees have got to take a 20% haircut on their benefits, or workers have got to pay 20% more in payroll taxes, uh, or the Federal Reserve is going to have to do some more printing to cover the difference, but then that's going to give us even more inflation on top of the inflation we can already anticipate. And I'll give everybody within the sound of my voice to guess which of those three things is going to happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> so so the bottom line is, is that, you know, if 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 China or whoever does not buy up our, our debt, um, the Federal Reserve has got to print the money. And if the Federal Reserve prints the money, and I say prints being a theoretical term, uh, makes the money available, um, you know, that's, again, we're back to supply and demand. So there will be an oversupply of the currency as it is, which decreases the value of the currency right. long term. Yeah. And, um, and it's already happening, right? But foreign countries are already looking at T-bills and the and they're saying, "Oh God, how can we how can we continue down this road?" And they're right to do so. So and what when, when we oh, were on a when we were on a gold standard, <clears throat> it was it was pretty much impossible for the Federal Reserve to do what it's doing now. Right. It could only print so many dollars given the amount of gold that the government had. When we went off that gold standard, it was letting the Federal Reserve off its leash. And and now what? What backs, in a sense, the value of a dollar, what backs the value of the dollar is our goods and services. The fact that I can walk into a bar and slap a 20 on the bar and I get some food and drink. That's what makes that 20 valuable. Well, printing more 20s doesn't give us more food and drink. It just gives us more pieces of paper. So it's just going to, I'm going to have to put more money on the bar to get the same food and drink I got before. And it's a variation on the stories that we hear from people who are older than we are, right? But when I was a kid, it it usually goes, I could go to the movies for a nickel. And when I got there, there would be a cartoon, a newsreel, and then the movie. And, And now it costs me $15 to go to a movie. And all I get is a movie. Well, yeah, that's how life goes, right? And it's about to go that way a lot harder than it has for a long time. 
you know, when I look back at history, there there have been countries that, you know, have, have put themselves in great economic uh, trouble. I mean, the most recent example, I guess, is Greece within the past 10 or 15 years. Um, what happened there? If, if, you know, and again, I don't want to put either of you guys on the spot, but it was a similar situation where their, you know, their debt way exceeded their ability to, uh, to pay and they defaulted. And it, yeah. could that happen here? Um, yes and no. And here's, here's the yes part. Greece, Greece defaulted because it couldn't afford what it was spend, what it was, was buying. And the same thing can happen here. The no part is that the politicians will never call it default. Right. So for example, as we approach insolvency on social security, um, if the government turns around and says to retirees, okay, we're going to pay you less than what we promised, or it says you richer retirees, people with 401ks, we're not going to pay you, but we'll pay the other people. What the government is doing is defaulting on a financial promise. Now, legally, it's not a binding promise. Under the law, this, the government is not obligated to pay those social security payments. But from retirees' perspective, you can call it what you want. The fact is, you told me I was going to get this money. I relied on it. And now all of a sudden, it's not there. That looks exactly like a default, because although no politician will use the word. It is absolutely a default. And the, the minute they realize that the days are numbered, means testing is going to be introduced. And at first, those means tests are going to weed out the wealthy. But sooner or later, you're going to be down all the way to the middle class, probably to the working class, exactly as happened when we implemented the income tax, right? That was supposed to be a tax on the 1%. And look at what it's become. Everybody is subject to it. So right. expect bad things to happen in the Social Security front and the Medicare Medicaid front. I'm curious, James, like the, you know, what when people compare running a government and the government's financial statements versus running a business, right. um, are, are they all that different? I mean, isn't it just revenues and expenses? Isn't if we are running trillion, multi-trillion dollar deficits every year uh, and, and then, you know, going into debt because of it, is it, I realize it's not politically simple, but from a mathematical standpoint, is it simply just cutting spending or increasing taxes to try and bring things back into balance? Is that? Yeah, of course it is. And then there, I mean, what, what else could it possibly be than that? But when you see people doing their level best to obscure that, hmm. you know who your enemies are. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll say, look, look at what the MMT people promise. It, it's asinine. There's no other way to look at it because really it's about dollars in, dollars out. But there's an added um, there's an added feature here, because anybody who's studied the Constitution, who's looked into how the United States government works and is supposed to work, what you find is that the framers gave us a Constitution that makes government action actually quite difficult. It's designed to be inefficient, and that really comes home to roost when you see how the money gets spent. Hmm. Right? It, it, it's no surprise that people inside this system, that once they get their hands on an income stream, never give it up because it's not exactly clear where else they can look. Hmm. You know, Anthony, James said at the beginning of this conversation that um, 
when we were referring to Janet Yellen, you know, the, the, the debt limit has been raised 80 plus times. You know, and James like, it's going to be raised again. And you agree with that. Of course, this is all politics. Um, what if it doesn't? I mean, like, I mean, even from the short term, let's let's assume that uh, Senate Majority Leader McConnell is stands firm and, uh, you, know, you know, months go by without any increase right. in the deadline. What, what impact does that have on me? Well, that, that's kind of interesting. Um, the, the impact, and this has happened before. I mean, we haven't gone months, but we've gone weeks yes. without, without the debt ceiling being raised when it needed to be. And, and what happens is you get a show. For example, when this happened during the Obama administration, they made a big show of shutting down the tours of the White House. And of course, that made all the news. And why do they have to shut down the tours of the White House? Well, there's no money to pay the tour guides. Right. Good Lord, the federal government brings in in every microsecond enough to pay those tour guides. That was nothing, right? And shutting down the national parks. National park. What does it mean to shut down a national park, right? It's just <laughs> sitting there anyway, right? So, 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 well, so a bunch you, of retired people volunteering yeah. there anyway, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what you what you get is this is this bells and whistles. Now, what's interesting is if you track government debt over those periods, so you'll see it rising, rising, rising until it hits a debt limit, and then it flatlines, and we've got this this you know fighting between the parties and they're not going to raise a debt limit and it's not raising and the government debt is flatline, flatline because it's not allowed to rise. And then as soon, as soon as they reach an agreement, all of a sudden the federal debt skyrockets. Mm -hmm. It jumps stepwise up to where it would have been anyway if it had continued to rise. Now, what that tells me is that they're playing with numbers in the background. So yeah, they'll continue to spend money as they've been spending it, but they're going to borrow it from, from this agency or that agency that isn't using it right now. And when the new debt ceiling gets raised and that new money comes in, then we'll pay back these various agencies. So it's just like, you know, tapping into your kid's college funds so you right. can continue to party until the next credit card comes along. Then you'll use that credit card to put the money back in the kid's uh, college fund. Right. And and we've long called this set of uh, affairs the Washington Monument strategy. <laughs> right, right. 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 Po politicians know this. They know that if you say, well, the Washington Monument is just going to have to be closed. You can't go to the top of it. All these people who wanted to go to the National Mall and check out all the sites, they're going to be upset and they're going to raise all kinds of hell with their own individual congressman. And, and here it is, right? But in the end, and you're exactly right, it's kabuki theater. We all know that the same amount of money is going to get spent over time. They just hold it back for three weeks. Yeah. And, you know, how, how anybody can, can know that and not shake their head at the, the various things the federal government does, I'll never understand. But hmm. they do their best to only show their constituents what they want them to see. Hmm. James, what do you think has changed since you know the end of World War II, where our national debt uh, was at its highest level as a percentage of GDP, um, and then it came down over a period of time, and then at some point, at some point, it started to spiral out of control. What, just in your opinion, what is what has changed that's caused that? Well, if, if you look at the chart uh, of government spending, it gets really fascinating because there are three gigantic peaks, the Civil War, World yeah. War I, and World War II. Right. And if, if you remove war spending fr from your consideration, you, you see a very interesting thing. And I mentioned this before, it, until 1928, it's a flat line. 
that's the period of negative rights. Right? That's the period where there wasn't um, all that much by way of government spending on social programs, almost none. Uh, Herbert Hoover comes in. He's the first progressive. He's a Republican. People always want to blame Roosevelt for this, but that that's ridiculous. It, it was the progressives writ large. And that mm-hmm. properly begins in 28 with Hoover. And you see uh, a spike right from that day forward, right? So government spending begins as we understand it in 1928. Does it manifest in, in all the ways you would expect? No, because it's obscured by, by two more wars. Um, but once you set once you set those aside and you start looking at the data, it absolutely is just a, a very very straight line up. Hmm. Anthony, and, you know, I, I want to underline I want to underline this because people think it's quaint when James and I say things like, "Well, the government does things that are unconstitutional," and everybody kind of you know winks and nods about constitution, quote unquote. The fact is, if you read the document, Article One, Section Eight. There's a list of eight or nine things the federal government is authorized to do. And that's it. It's just those eight or nine things. Mm. Virtually everything the federal government does today is not on that list. Now, why do I care? Because that's the source of our problem. The reason you've got this runaway spending and runaway debt is precisely because the federal government is doing far more things than it's authorized to do. And in the wake of the Civil War, the states were, were handed a different set of rules by the post-Civil War Amendments, 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. And those amendments, because of slavery, because of the Civil War, undermined state authority to such a degree that it, they didn't really matter that much anymore. And what ends up happening is that the states, once a, a legitimate competitor to federal power, now become handmaidens in support of the federal power. So really, you can draw this back to the the close of the Civil War, about 1865, when these things start happening. And there's no way that this is going to unhappen. And you just have to realize that. And I've I've taken not to referring to the Constitution as much, even though that's my training. I'm a political science scientist steeped in the constitutional uh, history of the United States. But what we ended up with is not a constitution that controls power, but a constitutional tradition that limits power in some ways. It's almost like I used to laugh when I thought about the English unwritten constitution, but that's precisely what we've got now. People make a nod towards certain parts of the the written constitution, but that's not the story. The story is is that we have certain traditions that we maintain. Um, But if you look at Article 1, Section 8, as Ant does, Boy, it doesn't look like that at all. Boy, this sounds very familiar to a recent Words and Numbers podcast that I listened to. I think we had the same conversation <laughs> going back and forth. James, um, you, just to make sure that we are completely clear before I get to some of your suggestions, uh, when when Paul Krugman writes, which he's done frequently, that as long as the government uh, has the ability to make their debt payments uh, or to service their debt, then we can maintain as much debt as we want. I would assume that you do not agree with that point of view. Well, I, you know, I heard Anthony say exactly that a number of times, and I think we both <laughs> actually believe that to some degree or another. Um, it gets different when you realize that repayment of the debt is literally impossible. Right. Right. We like to think that, okay, well, we'll pay it off someday. But Ant and I uh, ran the numbers on this, and we could tell you what it would take to pay off the debt. So, Ant, Take it away. Yeah, and and it's not, you know, people will say, and rightly so, but you don't have to pay off the debt. 
you can just main you can roll it over and that's fine you like know a mortgage. You just exactly like a mortgage or like your credit card you just got to make the minimum monthly payment right. what we would call servicing the debt but here's the problem servicing the debt itself forget about paying it just servicing it is becoming impossible the at at current historically low interest rates the federal debt is eating through roughly three quarters of a trillion dollars a year in interest. If interest rates went back just to their historical average, not even high, just their historical average, the federal government would be spending close to one and a half trillion dollars a year just on interest. And what's interesting here is the story we hear from politicians is low interest rates are good because look, you voters, it makes it, uh, cheaper for you to get a mortgage. It's cheaper to go to college. Low interest rates are good for all of you. What they don't tell you is the single largest beneficiary of low interest rates is the federal government itself. And the Fed has been, the Federal Reserve has been backed into a corner. It's got to choose now between, on the one hand, controlling inflation by cutting back on the money supply. And on the other hand, leaving the money supply large so the interest rates are low because the federal government can't afford to pay any more interest. And, and Ant, I mean, we ran the numbers on this probably almost a decade ago. So these are going to be less terrible than, than reality. But in order to balance the budget, in order to pay the debt, um, you would have to freeze federal spending and, and then cut it by 15% <laughs> for five years without increasing it at all. So not cutting the rate of increase no. like we no. usually do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not the Washington version it. of a cut, but the right. the Main Street version of a cut, um, and this presupposes that doing that wouldn't crash the economy. So leave that off to the side. Um, then you could allow government spending to grow uh, in lockstep with GDP, and it would take, if we did that, one hundred years to pay off the debt, mm. and that was when the debt was twenty three trillion dollars. And and I want to underline here all of this we're discussing completely ignores unfunded liabilities. Correct. That is promises of social security and Medicare payments, government pension payments that the government has made and does not and will not have the money to cover. And, mm. and the predictions on this, and notice the delta here, how much is that? It's between 100 and $200 trillion. We can't, we can't get any more clarity. There's a $100 trillion difference in the two estimates. It's, it's so absurd that there's really no way to count it. The, the, the assumptions that you have to make to count it don't exist. But even, but even at the low end right. of $100 trillion, the federal government can't afford that. Ever. It will it, never it, afford it is, it is mathematically impossible. So the take-home message here is our federal government right now, today, is bankrupt. Right. And we it, just haven't realized it because people right. continue to loan to it. That's right. right. And at some point, inflation and interest are going to catch up with us. And because yep. of that, that's going to force something to happen. Um, yep. And I guess, you know, our audience are, are business owners. And, you know, from this conversation and even the conversation that we previously had about inflation and interest, um, it, to both of you guys, it seems inevitable that we are going to be looking at a higher interest and in inflation for all the reasons that we've discussed. So if I'm making my plans for the future, um, you know, I, I, I should be planning on that when I'm running my business. Yeah, that's right. And the, the fundamental question you should ask yourself and the question I ask myself all the time was if somebody got to me in 1920 hmm. and said, there's going to be this ter terrible time and the, the stock market's going to crash. There's going to be all kinds of pain. 
would you would I have taken steps if I knew that to be true? Would I have taken steps to minimize the pain that I would feel personally, mm. my family? And the answer is absolutely yes, I would. And then then comes the hard question: What do you have to do? And you know, we're going to be into things like sound money, hard money. Um, you're going to be looking at gold and silver as being maybe the coin of the realm at some point by the time we get around to dealing with the reality of this. Um, stock up on everything that you can hope to stock up on, right? And maybe get yourself some cryptocurrency because that's starting to look more like gold than than like fiat money. Right. Um, you know, and however you look at this from any distance whatsoever, there's not one clear answer that anybody can ever give you. And if somebody's selling the idea that you will not have to hurt when this comes to pass, that's a lie. Everybody will have to hurt when this comes to pass. And you said you said something important, James, that you know, what would you do had someone told you back in the 1920s this was coming? What would you do to to avoid the pain? I don't think that there is much that we can do today that's possible. And the reason I say that is because the federal government has become far more intrusive today than it was in the 1930s, 1920s. Um, you know, you talk about things like uh, Biden's uh, tax plan, which is now Congress is debating. This tax plan has hidden in it. It's not even hidden. It's right there in front of everybody. The politicians call it uh, changes to the capital gains tax. And they're going to change the capital gains tax so that the rich will end up paying their fair share and all the noise that you normally hear. I think the about 48%, am I correct? <laughs> Somewhere in that right, right. Well, yeah, but that. But <laughs> here's the thing. There's two things that are in here that are important to business owners. The first is that um, the proposal is that capital gains taxes will be due at death. And the second is that the stepped up basis disappears. Right. Those two things together. Now you can call it a capital gains tax. But those two things together actually look and act and quack exactly like a death tax. Right. What they're proposing is a death tax on the middle class and the working class. Yes, there's a $1 million exemption, but here's the thing. It's a much bigger lift to get these changes they want into the tax code than it is once these changes are in to knock that million dollar exemption down. And anybody who owns a small business and is looking to to leave it to your children or whoever, you're going to get hit with, if this thing passes, you're going to get hit with this and whoever inherits your business will more likely than not have to sell it off to raise the money to pay the tax. Couple other things on taxes. Uh, the million dollar exemption is for you know income during that year. It is a uh, not uncommon for clients of mine, family owned businesses, to to make a million dollars in a year. That doesn't mean that they're getting a check of a million dollars from their businesses and putting it into their right. bank account. That money gets reinvested, uh, you know, into property and equipment and people. So you're showing the tax gains, but you're really not seeing it in cash. But you're still being taxed on it in a in a very significant way. Um, and, and, and importantly, the, the capital gains tax does not adjust for inflation. Correct. So if, if you get rid of stepped up basis, you know, I could buy a house in 1980 for $50,000 and leave it to my kids in 2021 and it's worth 150. They're going to owe $22,000 tax despite the fact that adjusted for inflation, they just took a loss. Right, right. <laughs> 
Anthony James, great conversation. Thank you very much for joining me. We've learned a lot um, and you, you've terrified me. Absolutely. I'm going to stop listening to your podcast. Our job is done here. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I'm just, I'm going to be all Conan O'Brien all the time. I think that's just what I'm going to do now because I need to laugh. Uh, what, but no, what, let me kidding. say one more thing. Please and go ahead. I'm, I'm going to channel Ant here. It's probably the smartest thing I've ever heard Ant say. It changed my mind about a bunch of things. These pains are coming. There's no doubt. Um, and we even predict that it probably marshals in a collapse of the monetary system. But even if that ultimate pain, it, as bad as it is, it's not the end of the world because in the United States, the productive capacity of the American people remains. And this is a government problem, not a people problem. And we've got the people that will help see us through this. And it's not going to be forever. It's just going to be long enough to correct a disaster of economic policy. You know, my dad told me when I was going to college um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. He was a CPA and he said for me, you know, go and, uh, you know, take an accounting degree if you don't know elsewhere and get a CPA certificate because you know what? If there's an apocalypse, people will still need to have their taxes done so their money looked after. You know? <laughs> That's right. That's so, in taxes, right? Yes, if you live taxes. through, you're paying the tax. But I think what he, but, but, you know, on the oversight, I said the same thing with my kids. You know, my daughter is, she's going to vet school right now. I mean, people are always going to want to pay somebody with the skill to take care of their dogs and cats, even in the end of times. And, you know, having the skills, um, you know, to be able to, as part of your inventory, I think is the ultimate thing to have, even if like you say, James, a monetary system might collapse one day. Um, we're still in the world's largest economy that will somehow see its way through. Guys, thanks again. Appreciate your time. And uh, we'll you, keep Gene. listening. Yeah, we'll keep listening to Words and Numbers. So thanks, thank you. It was, it was really a pleasure to be here with you. Thank it's you. It's a lot of fun. Take care. Do you have a topic or a guest that you would like to hear on Thrive? Please let us know. Visit payx.me forward slash Thrive Topics and send us your ideas or matters of interest. Also, if your business is looking to simplify your HR, payroll, benefits, or insurance services, see how Paychex can help. Visit the resource hub at paychex.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. Paychex can help manage those complexities while you focus on all the ways you want your business to thrive. I'm your host, Gene Marks, and thanks for joining us. Till next time, take care. This podcast is property of Paychex Inc. 2021, all rights reserved.